And the Bible says in Psalms chapter number one, look at verse number one with me. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are like the chaff that the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly uh, shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But then look at these words. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Bible says in that scripture that there is a there, that we have to be walking. It talks about in that first verse what's beautiful that we are walking with the Lord and we're constantly every day doing that. Another thing it says it says that it would be like a, a person like a tree planted by the waters. You know that they would be right there and that they would not be moved. And what it means about being by the waters it means you're constantly being refreshed. You're constantly bringing in nutrients and stuff, and that its fruit would be in its season. The Bible says, and the leaf also would never wither it says and whatever it doeth or doth it said or doeth it says it will prosper and all of that but it says the wicked are not so and notice what it said it's like the chaff driven away by the wind and you know what that means brother john what it means is is that because the wicked are not planted by the rivers of water then they're going to dry up and as they dry up their leaves are going to be dry their fruit is going to be dry. And do you know what's going to happen? When the wind comes in and the heat wind comes in, it's going to blow everything away just like the wheat is separated from the chaff, right? Because when the wheat and the chaff are thrown up by the winning fork, you know, the, the pitchfork or the winning tool, as the Bible says, the winning fork, and throws up in the air, it says that that heavy fruit of the wheat will fall down to the ground, but the chaff or the shell of it all will be blown away because it's dry and it's light. If you're going to look at this, you have have to understand there's just a few things this morning we need to walk the right way if you're going to do that you got to walk in the spirit here's what i hear all the time from people who are coming to be saved or they're just saved they constantly say this especially people that are lost and are thinking about salvation and god's working on them they always say this statement i'm going to come when i can do it 100 percent i'm going when when i get saved I'll get saved when I get ready because when I do it, I'm going to do it 100%. I'm going to go all in. I don't want to say I'm going to get saved and then still be out here in the world. And what that is, is, is that's your flesh battling right then with your spirit, with the spirit that God's trying to work with you. And your flesh is saying, I still like doing those other things. So let's just be honest about it. I still enjoy doing the things of the world, and I'm just not ready to give those things up. And I always kind of bust, burst everybody's bubble when they say those things to me about, you know, well, I'm going to do it when I do it. I'm going to do it 100%. I always burst their bubble because I say this, and please don't take offense to this. You can't. It is not intended for you to think that in your own strength that you'll be able to maintain your Christian walk with the Lord. There is no way that you can do it. Apart from walking in the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God, we can't do it. I can't, listen, I've been saved now for 27, somewhere around in there, 27, 28 years, and I have every day I have to wake up and go, God, please help me today. Please help me to not to make a fool out of myself or your name. Please help me today to, to know where you are, to see you and all of these things, and help me, God. You know, there's sometimes I say, God, please put your Holy Spirit, let him put his arm around me today and his hand around my mouth. 
You know what I mean? Arm around my shoulder and hand around my mouth. The Bible says you, to walk in the Spirit, you got to have the Spirit. So you can't really get to this fourth principle or this fourth essential in a Christian walk unless you have understood the worth of salvation and been saved, understood worship and what it is to worship and adore him, and then in the Word of God. And when you're in the Word of God, this is what's going to happen. People go, oh, God, I want to know your will. God, I want you to show me what you want me to do today. And I go, do you read your Bible? And they go, no, I don't read my Bible very much. You're going to have to read the Bible in order to understand what he wants you to do. And so when you get to this point in this fourth one, walking in the Spirit, look at what Galatians chapter number 5 says. He says, then I say, or this I say then, walk, and look at this, in the Spirit, capital S. See, when you were created, the Bible says that you were created different than all other creation. God spoke, and there were fish in the sea. God spoke, and there were uh, birds in the air. God spoke, and there were cows out in the field. All of these things. But when God created mankind, he took with his own bare hands, it says, and took dust from the earth and formed it and made it into a man. Mankind breathed into his nostrils, into the, into the being of that person, the breath of life. And man, this is a different thing, and man became a living soul. Not just a living creature, but a living spirit, a lowercase s, amen, spirit within. Why? Because you were created after the image of God. And we know that God is comprised or made up of what? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is what we are made up of. We are made up of God the Father, and I look at it as mind, body, and soul. Jesus Christ was the body of God, but the soul or the spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. And we were created in that image, and so you have flesh, but you have a spirit within you. Most of the time, people think that it's the conscience, it's their mom or their dad that's speaking to them whenever that person or whatever that voice is, if it's whatever, you, whatever tone it is, it's whatever Siri voice you have, right? Some people have male, some people have female, and uh, I, I choose to, to use a male because I already have female that tells me what to do and where to go, right? And so looking at, <laughs> looking at this, walking in the spirit, it says that, you can't walk in your own spirit. And you can be led sometimes to do things. My spirit often calls me to go to the lake, to go fishing. My spirit calls me to do those things sometimes, right? But that doesn't mean that I'm being capital S spirit-led on those times. But I do believe that if I was to ever have a boat that I would put on the side of it, we have a boat, but put on the side of it, I'd call it visitation. That way when y'all call and ask where I'm at, you can say he's out on visitation, right? But having the Spirit of God lead you is totally different from you leading yourself. What this means today is that if you want to have a good walk in your Christian life with the Lord, you're going to have to yield your steps to his steps. You're going to have to give up all of your spiritual things or your spirit drawing you to sometimes go, you know what? I need to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. I need him to lead. He says, walk, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at what it says, for the lust of the flesh, excuse me, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the, to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Look at this verse. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under 
the law. Walk means this. It means to, to take steps, to live, to take steps in a specified direction. It means that we have a battle that's going on around us, and we're trying to find out which way to go. Years ago, and I've used this illustration probably hundreds and hundreds of times, but Andrew was a very young boy, probably five years old, maybe kindergarten or first grade. And we were at the days in the stage in life where I think I even still have Jacobs in my wallet, where uh, back in the old days when, when I was young, there was a, a, a young boy named Adam Walsh that was taken. And uh, they since that time, his dad and stuff has actually put out all kinds of things to help children that are taken or children that are missing and stuff. And so the, the school was doing these identification cards with a picture of your child, and then I think their thumbprint was on there and stuff. And your parents got them, and we put them into our wallet and stuff like that. And, and I can remember setting Andrew down and talking to him and saying, Son, look, what would happen if you ever got lost in the store? And he said, well, I would just go and find a police officer. And so we were going through all of these steps, teaching him what his address is at home, teaching him what the phone number was and all of that stuff. And I looked at him and I said, but buddy, what would happen? And he had, the, he had all of the right answers. And I said, but buddy, buddy what would happen though if, if you were like lost out in the woods somewhere and there was no police officer or there was no adult to call for or anything like that? What would you do, man? What would you do? And he said, well, I'd sit down and read a book. And I was like... Well, I don't think there's many of those in the woods. He said, I'd sit down and read a book. And I guess if Andrew ever got lost, we were just going to have to find him and listen if he was reading aloud. And I was trying to get out of him. I would call for help or I would start a fire. You know what I mean? I know he was five, six years old, but good grief. You live in the country. You should know that. You should know how to, uh, you know, run a trot line and uh, all those other things. But this battle that goes on with us, it's not... It's between the flesh and the spirit. It says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And it says they're contrary to one another. It says that they're constantly fighting against one another. And so no matter how good you are as a Christian, and no matter, don't take offense, but no matter how good of a smile you put on while you come in here, I know, and I'm not foolish enough to believe, but I know that you have battles in your life. That there are spiritual battles going on within you, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been saved, I know that there are battles that are going on within you because the Bible says so. But look at verse number 18. It says, but if you be led of the Spirit. It says, if you be led. This means that you give up all of your rights, you give up and surrender all of your ways, and you say, Lord, I'm going to be led away from my fleshly lust, and I want to walk in what you want me to walk in. But then look at the other part. If you surrender, you're going to be led away from the fleshly lust that will place you, look at that last part, under the law. Now, here's what a lot of Christians do today. A lot of Christians talk about this under the law scripture, and then we're going to talk about it in just a minute, and a lot of people use it to their advantage. A lot of Christians today, they don't misunderstand this scripture. They actually have been taught by a, a forked tongue person who now twists this scripture. Because if you look at the rest of Galatians, in Galatians chapter number 5, look at verse number 19 and what it says. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. 
It's like he goes on this list, and then all of a sudden, you kind of try to classify yourself and go, well, I'm good on that one. Check that one off. Good. I've not committed adultery. I've not committed fornication. I've not committed uncleanliness. I've not committed lasciviousness. I don't even know what lasciviousness means, right? That's what most Christians think. Looking at that, but then look at the last part of that scripture. He says, and such the like. Look at that next part. It says, and such like he lists all these things, envies, murders, all this, drunkenness, reveling, strife, all this. He says, and such the like, whatever is like that. And he says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that if we do those things, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know that some of you are automatically probably putting yourself in a category because you go in that and you would go, but Brother Steve, I'm guilty of that one. I'm guilty of drunkenness. I'm guilty of strife. I'm guilty of envying. I'm guilty of all of these other things. I'm guilty of fornication. Some people would say, Brother Steve, I'm guilty of adultery. And the scripture tells me that I will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you look at that and you understand. He says, of which I have told you also, I tell you in time past. He says, those which do such things. And what that means is, is in that phrase, those that do such things, it means those that continue to walk in that manner. Those that would continue to say, okay, I know I'm saved, but continue to do that. Paul says in this scripture that there is no way that that type of person, that that type of faith can save anyone. That's what James was talking about. James was not arguing with Paul about being saved by grace through faith. James was bringing up the other side of that coin, Brother Ricky, and he was saying, hey, yes, you're saved by grace through faith. He says, but faith that doesn't change people, can that kind of faith be real? He said, that's wrong. He said, you can't continue to live in sin and say that you're saved all at the same time. Will you sin? Yes, the Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Then notice those words right there, or that one word, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't mean that you have to. So it doesn't mean that you Christians should go out and go, you know what, I'm going to test the grace of God today, and I'm just going to go out and do what I want to. No, that's abusing the grace of God. And that is what has happened in the Scripture, is that many people have twisted it, and they talk about walking in the Spirit, and then they go into this part, well, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Thank God I'm saved. I'm walking in the Spirit, and I'm no longer under the law. You know what it means to be out from under the law? It means that your sins are forgiven and they are washed away. What it means to be out from under the law is that the law says your sins are worthy of death. The law says the punishment for sin, the wages or the payment for sin is death. And Jesus Christ stepped in your place and he died on the cross for all of us, each and every one of us. And what did he do? He paid the price for us and redeemed us who were under the law, now out from under the law, and are now walking in the Holy Spirit of God. But if you choose to sin today, you are now under condemnation again in that law, and you need to ask God to forgive you through the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. God forbid any of us Christians ever get to the point that we go, I was saved 27 years ago, I asked him to forgive me then, and I figured that it would be enough then to take me all the way through. The Bible says when Jesus was beaten on the cross, it says that the Rome, excuse me, beaten at the whipping post, the Bible says that the imperfect form of the verb was used, beat him. When they beat him, it 
It means that they beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him. It means it continually kept going and beating and beating and beating and beating, even to the point where there were supposed to be 26 stripes across the back, 13 stripes across the front, and there were supposed to be no more because no Roman citizen, no one deserved to have more than that because they were set, they would be whipped 40 stripes, save one, 26 on the back. 13 across the chest. But the Bible says that Pilate was using this as an illustration. And the Bible says those Roman soldiers beat him and beat him to where Isaiah said you could not even tell that it was a man because they had beat him so bad. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Brother Anthony, and he looked out at those people that spit on him, and he saw the person that plucked his beard out, and he saw the Roman soldiers that put those stripes on his back and on his chest who punched him in the face, who put a crown of thorns on his head, and he saw that soldier that took that, that sponge and put it on a hyssop reed and dipped it in that poisonous gall vinegar mixture of, uh, of medical where it would just make him pass out, put it to his lips, and when he saw all of that, he chose to say this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the word forgive is in the imperfect form of that verb. And it means, Father, forgive them, and forgive them, and forgive them, and forgive them. That's why in 1 John, and that's why it tells us that if we have sinned, we can come to him, and he will forgive us of all of our trespasses, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we constantly need to make a withdrawal. If you walk in the Spirit, then you know what will happen? You will not walk in these fleshly things. But if you say that you can walk in the fleshly things and they do not bother you within your own heart and your own spirit or the Holy Spirit of God convicting you, you don't have a true evidence of salvation. And you really and truly need to be saved and need to be born again. You can't continue to do that. There's so many people that want to run around here and say, we're set free from the law, and they want to do it just so they could drink more, just so that they could go out and do all these things, run around with other people and stuff. And the Bible says that's not true at all. Paul says in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says right there, if you stop for a moment, the Bible says if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. And this is what we do. Daniel, we're good at this. We get our little Holy Ghost rags and we go, woo, I'm never condemned. And when I got saved 27, 28 years ago, I got the t-shirt back then and I don't need to do anything else. And I can live like I want because I'm saved and on my way to heaven. On Friday, you're drunk as a skunk. On Saturday, you're sleeping around with other people. On Sunday, you come to church and go, well, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And you never read the rest of the verse. Because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Look, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Oh, there's more to the story. See, you don't get to go out here and use your religious liberties as a license to go and sin more. Paul even made the statement one time, God forbid that we do that. We don't do this and we don't say that we're saved so that we can go out and live in sin. You're absolutely crippling the church. We're absolutely crippling Christianity and the walk. That's why we no longer have a foothold in the church anymore because preachers run off with women and then piano players run off with people in the church and all these things happen. Can people be forgiven of that? Absolutely. But my goodness, my goodness, why should we continue there? 
That's what Paul was talking about earlier. He says, those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, those people that stay there. The prodigal son, Brother Anthony, didn't lay in the hog pen and say, I'm always a king's son. I'm always my daddy's boy and laid in the hog pen. No, he came to his senses. He got out of the hog pen, quit doing what he was doing, and went back to his father and said, I have sinned. We should not sin so that grace would abound. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, then there is no condemnation. But if you choose to sin, God is going to convict our messed up heart. This is what happens to Christians. You go out and do these things. Man, I, I hear people all the time. They say these things. They blurt these words out and say all this stuff and ungodly things and live an ungodly way. And then they're on Sundays. They're in church and they're thinking that worship is true and stuff. The Bible says that you're in condemnation. You need to ask God to forgive you. You need to say, God, I am sorry. God, please forgive me. Look at the next part. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Look at these words. It's good. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do you know what that means? I, I, heard, I talked to the boy years and years ago who told me that, that uh, Jesus Christ came to destroy the Old Testament law. And I said, I, I don't think that you're right on that. And he was under the impression of a different, you know, uh, what they call Christian religion. And I said, I, I don't think you're right on that. So explain it to me. Explain what you mean. He did away with all of that old law. He did away with all of those old things. I said, but the scripture plainly says, Jesus said with his own mouth. And I said, and it's better to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. I said, he said he did not come to destroy the law, but to do what, church? You know it, fulfill the law. And so, listen, Jesus didn't just go when he died on the cross and then go blink and everybody's just saved. And blink, everybody's sins are forgiven. No, the law is fulfilled in us. You know what it means when the law is fulfilled? The law says, shall not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, thou shalt not worship any other graven images. The Lord is one. All of these things, honor your father and mother. The law points us to the fact that we are sinners and we're messed up. That's exactly what the law is nothing but a, a school teacher. It's nothing but a, a test of our righteousness, and we all flunk that test. And the Bible says that it's fulfilled in the fact of what? The righteousness of God sending his son to die for us, not for sin and sin itself, it said. It says because of what Jesus did for us, we are now declared righteous in front of God Almighty that the righteousness of the law would be fulfilled in us. Who do what? Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the Bible says this. That if you're a believer and you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you should be walking in the Spirit. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, then you're walking in sin. Because it says God wants the law of righteousness to be fulfilled in us. And what it means is to be an example, to be shown in you and I, Brother Brian. How? Not walking in the flesh, but walking after the Spirit. But Brother Steve, it's so hard, you're not telling me anything. I don't know. Brother Steve, it's so difficult. You're not telling anything Paul didn't know. 
Because Paul just got through telling us in Galatians that what? The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are at enmity with one another. They're constantly rubbing one another, which causes our earthquakes in our life. You know what I mean? Things that happen. Look at this last part of the scripture. It says, but they that are after the spirit, excuse me, the things of the spirit. For they that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. Let's go to the next point. If we walk in the spirit, that's a wonderful thing. But also, we need to walk straight. We need to walk straight. The Bible talks about another scripture, and I'll have it this morning, but the, the use of the word is that we should walk circumspectly in this world. And what that means is, is that we should walk upright and straight in this world. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and look at that lowercase spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If there is one doctrine a theology, a teaching, or whatever that is missing from the house of God today. It is walking in holiness. Most of us today are primed to do what we want to do. We are designed to do those things. Every one of us are becoming more and more self-centered and selfish every day that we live, every hour. You say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? I'm telling you that everything that you do is designed to meet your needs. When we go to the clothing store, we have different cuts. We have slim cut, which is obviously not for me. And then we have relaxed fit. That's where I come in, right? And when I was a kid, it was the same way. I couldn't go over there and just put on a pair of Levi's. I had to go over here to what they call huskies. And they ain't talking about dogs either. They just That was just a nice word for fat kids, okay? I had to do all of that stuff. And every day, you're primed. Every day, you're pumped. How many of you, raise your hand just real quick, are on social media? Anybody on social media in here? I know that you are. I know that y'all are on there. Y'all do it all the time. How many of you have the church app? The church app. Y'all are on social media. Okay, everybody's on social media, but you don't understand that things like Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all of those things, they're programmed to absolutely design and tailor fit your own desires and your own needs. That's why when you search through these things and, and you're looking for some kind of quilting material and, and Patricia and Teresa are looking for some kind of pattern or something like that, that's why when they get on their Facebook, an ad pops up about the best quilting pattern that you've ever seen right here. Click Click me, click me, click me. Because why? It's designed, it's pumped and primed to do that for you. That's why mine is filled with Gunnersville Lake crappie fishing. I see photos of crappie every day that makes my flesh and spirit lust. And look, I'm looking at those things in boats and all of this other stuff. Hey, listen, if you've got some things on there that's ugly, I just want to point out to you one factor. It's because somebody, and you may blame it on somebody that used your phone, you looked at something. Yeah, because it's tailoring your needs. So you know what it's doing? It's priming you to always get what you want and not to care about everything else. And you can even design it to go, you know what, I don't ever want to see that ad again. I don't want to see this anymore. Twitter's the same way. Instagram's the same way. All of these things are primed to do what to feed you. Even your Netflix is designed to do that. You all that have Netflix, every one of us, we sit back and we watch Netflix. And the next thing you know, if I've watched a television show about the, the great, uh, uh, wonderful national park, I just watched one of the Yellowstone. When I turned back on there the other day, it says shows that Steve would like. 
And it's all these adventure shows and Jacques Cousteau and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, well, I would like that. And I watch it, you know. Why? Because it's tailor fitting. We are in a dangerous society. We are in a dangerous society today because if you can't tell that that is destroying day by day our whole nation. Because why? We don't get what we want. We've been fed that same line even through our restaurants. Burger King, what do they say? Have it your way. Right? All of us are designed to do that. And when we don't have our way, then what do we do? We pitch fits. Our society is crumbling because of that very thing. The Bible tells us in this scripture right here that we should walk in holiness. Let me say something to you. If you want to do a, be a good Christian in your walk, let me say this, and it'll probably upset you, but you're not always going to get what you want. You're not always going to get every single thing that you've asked God for. You're not always going to get what you want. But God's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, not all of your wants. Oh, but Brother Steve Psalms tells me that if I would delight myself in the Lord, he would give me my heart's desire. But the whole Bible tells us that if you will tune your heart into the same tune of God's heart, then your desires would be his desires. And that's why David said that in the Psalms. So when you look at this, we've got to walk in holiness. Man, we're missing holiness today. When we get to talking about holiness, most people today, you're you think you're talking about some kind of denomination of church people, the holiness group, and Church of God, or Pentecostal, or they call them the holiness and stuff. We all as Christians should be called holy. The Bible says to be you holy as he is holy. Listen, how in the world, brother, Steve, can we be holy? Number one, through the ministry of the church. Many people today say, I have no need for the church. And I'm telling you today, if you're a Christian, you have every need for the church. Brother Steve, I don't have to go over there. Yes, you do. You need to. You need to go as much as you can, as often as you can. Every time that they have anything, you need to try your best to be there if you can. If you can. Understand that. No one should condemn you because you have something else going on. But if you can be there, you should be there because God has given us the ministry of the New Testament church. New Testament church is not just about sitting around here and fellowshipping and eating a hot dog or corn dog or pizza party, but it is absolutely good for us to be together with the people of God. Listen to the ministry of the church, Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did God give us those? Look at the next words. For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting means for the working and moving and the help and the maturity of saints of God. To do what? To grow more in holiness. If you come to church and you don't grow in holiness, you need a different church. I'm just saying it. Church is not about, please don't take offense to this, but church is not always about telling about the basketball scores or the ball game scores in the hallways. We get to do that, and that's wonderful. But when we come to church, there's a reason, and why? What is the reason we come? For the perfecting of the messed up saints that need to grow up and be mature. Look at the next thing, for the work of the ministry, that we would work together in the ministry. And then the last thing, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know what edifying means? It means that they would be exalted up to the place that they need to be. The Bible says the edifying of the body of Christ. And how long should we come to church? Uh, you said, Brother Steve, should I go to church for 10 years? And then, you know, maybe I think I, I'm, a, I'm a fast learner. 
you know, I was always more mature than the other people in my grade, and so maybe I got it together. How long should you go to church? Look at the next verse, verse 13. Till we all come in unity, or the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, if I said that you only had to come to church until I get these five things done, I would understand that after that next one, February the 7th, you probably wouldn't come back. But the Bible says that you need the house of God and the body of Christ and the growing and perfecting in holiness until how long? And, and listen to me. And this means until you die. How long should we go to church? Until we die. Because none of us are that perfect man. You know, I know that you may sing, it's so hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But you're not perfect. There's no man or woman in here perfect. Why? Because if you measure against me, then yes, you'll be perfect. If you're setting the standard when you go to the clothing store, you'll be maybe in the slim fit, guys. I really don't like you. But you'll be in the slim cut, you know what I mean? And all those tailored cut ones and stuff like that. And you don't have to go to the special section of the store to get any of your clothing. We've got a couple of tents in the back, Mr. Abney. Come and we'll help you out. You don't have to do that, no. But see, you're measuring against me. And what you're doing is, is you're just trying to outdo me. Take that tape measure and take that ruler now and put it up against Christ. And don't measure clothing, but measure the crown of thorns that he wore. Measure out his holiness as he lived when he was tempted as in all points as you and I, but was without sin. And I promise you, you'll never, ever get to that point. Here, let's look at this last part because we've got to go. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slot of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But we do what? We speak the truth in love, may grow up unto him all in all things, which is the head, even Christ, whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint in the body supplies, that wonderful what? It's helping and we're growing together according to the effectual working in the measure of every part and this is what happens it makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love it means that we all are growing together as long as we measure up to Christ God's given us certain preachers and teachers and all of these things for the edifying of the body for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry so we do have things to help us to grow in holiness. The second thing that we can use to help us grow in holiness is the ministry of perseverance. The ministry of perseverance. Don't quit. Don't give up when you sin. I told you earlier, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Don't give up. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 12. Not as, this is Paul, not as though I'd already attained either were already perfect. Paul's saying, those of you that think I've got it all together, I don't. I haven't gotten there yet, and I haven't attained it already, and I'm not even perfect right now. He said, but I follow after. The Bible says that Paul is constantly in perseverance pursuing God. He said, I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hold on to what I got in Christ Jesus as I'm pursuing after Christ Jesus. You see what he's saying? Paul says that after he came and he gave me all of that, he apprehended me, he took me as his wonderful, what, 
prisoner of spiritualness. Amen. He brought me in. He said, I'm constantly, after he saved me, I'm constantly seeking him over and over and over because I haven't attained it yet. And he uses these words. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Look at these words. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Christians, listen to me. Let's take a pause just for a second, and let me say this one statement of this, and I'll move on. You as church members, you cannot live on what kind of revival happened in the past. We can't feast on the days of the good old days when God did this and God did that. That is negative, and we need to stop saying how God moved then. We need to thank God for those victories that we had, but we need to be looking forward to the things that are before. And on the same statement on that, if we can't live and feed off of past victories all the time, although they're good, then we also need to stop living and killing ourselves over past failures. You need, listen, if he says you have an advocate with the Father to forgive you of your sins, listen to me, then you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself and move forward with God, forgetting the things that are behind. And then what did he say? He says, and reaching forth unto the things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I press toward. That means, Brother Craig, there's got to be days that Paul had to where he struggled and was like, Lord, it's just hard for me to even take a step. I don't know which way to go. I've got to go forward. I know that it may seem kind of easy and simple for us as we read the book of Acts. I think chapter number 16 where Paul and Silas were thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. They were thrown in the jail for preaching the gospel, not inciting a riot. They don't think they had posters and all that stuff. They were just sharing the gospel, and they were thrown in jail for doing that. And you have to know, I know what they did. The Bible says at midnight they sang, and they prayed, and they sang unto the Lord. I understand that. But I don't know what time they got arrested, and you don't know what time they got arrested. But how long did it take from the time they got arrested until midnight that they actually began to pray and to sing praises? Truth be told, Paul was just like you and I, and Elijah in the Bible was just like you and I. It even declares they had like passions like you and I. And so I know that there were times that Paul was struggling in his walk. Because Paul talked about people and believers, and he said there were times that in the past that you would have plucked your own eyes out and have given them to me. And it evidently kind of tells us in the state that Paul was in that maybe because he was beaten or because of what happened to him, but, or maybe even the prisons that he was in all the time that maybe he couldn't see very well. And some of the church people of God said, Oh, Paul, boy, you're such a great God, godly man. And, man, if I could get, pluck my own eyes out and give them to you, I'd do it right here. Paul said there were times that y'all would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. He said, Now you hate me because I tell you the truth. So Paul suffered and struggled just like you and I. That's why the word in there, the key is, is that he pressed toward. He pushed and he pressed over and over. And too many Christians today, when things get hot and things get difficult, they just give up. Too many Christians are at home today because why? They're defeated by sin. They're underneath that condemnation of that again because they didn't walk after the Spirit. They walked after the flesh. And you want to go, Lord, please help them. Listen, through the ministry of perseverance, through the ministry of love, listen to this scripture, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter number 3, look at verse 12. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we toward, do toward you. Why? Look at this part. 
to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in what? In holiness before God. See, God teaches us even through our love that we have for one another and that God has for us and that we have for God. He's trying to help you in holiness. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. He's talking about he's working holiness. The fourth thing under that is this, through the ministry, and the last one is good, it's grace. It's through God's grace. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called you, un- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who has called us, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that you have suffered a while, he make you perfect, establish, <clears throat> strengthen, and settle you. It means that he's going to perfect you in that holiness. So we should walk straight. Why should we walk straight? Because people are looking. And we want people to understand who God is. Here's the last thing. We should walk steady. What I mean by steady is that making your footprints deep, firm, and constant. You should walk steady, meaning you should be not only in a straight path, but you should be steady as you walk. I mean, I could put my feet together and walk straight, but yet I'm still kind of leaning and doing all my balance. But in walking steady, it means that when you plant your feet, you're walking firm. You remember the old Andy Griffith episode where they were looking for a cow thief? Do you remember that? It was because they said it was actually three different men. It was two fat men and a little bitty skinny guy about the size of Barney that was stealing these cows. And the whole story of it was was there was a blind guy that was putting shoes on the cows and the cows feet was making these deep impressions and stuff until one night they put a bull out in the barn and the blind guy or that guy that couldn't see well tried to put shoes on a bull and then they found him right and uh isn't it good to find spiritual things in Andy Griffith show I love it I enjoy it and, and so they would pour that plaster in there and was finding how deep and they could probably tell how much the person weighed because of what because of the impression that was left by that mark and that's what I'm trying to tell you. Look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. He says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. That we would walk worthy, making our steps deep, rooting them. Your steps need to be deep enough to leave an impression so that others can follow. <laughs> 21 years ago in the year 2000, my dad had this great idea that we were going to go and participate in fishing as a whole family together. So as we were gathering up everything, my nephew was a year old, a baby. We grabbed the baby pen, all of that. We had the fishing equipment. And it wasn't like, hey, let's go to this bank somewhere and we're going to fish. No, it was during the time of the season at Lake Purdy that the stripe would come up in the creek. And so this place was called Stripe Creek. And I've come to find out that that place was called Stripe Creek because of every tree limb that hit you, okay, and you left with stripes. With me, my mother, my nephew, my brother, and his wife set out on this great Donald Abney adventure that he's reminiscing from from years ago when he was younger. Oh, we tore him up. We caught fish. Oh, we just couldn't handle how many fish we caught, and we need to go there. And I'm all about a fishing trip. And so we're going through there, and we're going to go today. No, no, we're not leaving until 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock at night? Oh, yeah, you don't catch them during the daytime. They don't come up in there. They come up in there at night. 
we set out on a midnight or a nighttime journey. We're out there all night long. We go through these trees, and he's not a very good guide. He's got a flashlight in his fishing pole and tackle box, but yet you need a good person that's leading the way because they hold back limbs, and you need to make sure that they're still holding on to those limbs because if not, they'll come and catch you right across your head, your face, and all that. That's why God blessed my mom being this tall. She knew she'd be married to my dad, or he, he knew she'd be married to dad. Listen, there are limbs hitting everywhere. My sister-in-law is stumbling around, falls down, hurts her ankle. We fall down with the baby pin and rip the hole into the side of it. Brandon's crying and all this stuff, and the whole time I'm going, we better catch some fish. We get out there on the side of this bank that I literally think that I could have run and jumped across, and I'm going, there is not going to be anything in here at all anything at all. And there wasn't. We caught three. And I was so mad. I was angry. But you know what? We would get behind one another and we would just have to make sure they stepped over the log, we step over the log. They held that bush, we hold the bush back. They held that limb, we hold the limb back. You know what? That's what we're doing. You know what you're doing when you're walking holy and walking in the spirit and walking straight and walking steady? You're actually making a way for other people to come. See, the problem is, is that we don't do that very well. Jesus said we don't do it very well. He said broad's the way that leads into destruction, but narrow's the way that leads into life everlasting. You know why? Because there's not a lot of people taking that path. We as Christians, especially as brothers and sisters in this body of Christ, if you're, you're serving here, if you know that something's wrong, you know that something's going to hit somebody else, you ought to hold that limb back for them. You ought to do that. Not only that, but if the Word of God says, and it's true and what it says that it is, then we need to understand what? The Word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. They will light out what's in front of us and it will also light the ground before us. Listen, in, in close, I want to read you again. Psalms chapter 1. You remember what it said? It says, Blessed is the man, look at those words, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. It says in that next part, that standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you see that? He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you know what that scripture is showing us? It's showing us that a downward path, a backslidden path for us to take, or even an unrighteous path for us to take, it causes us that are walking with the Lord to absolutely stop walking. Brother Craig, look at what it says. It says that we shouldn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If we find ourselves walking in the counsel of the ungodly, then we're going to find ourselves no longer walking, Brother Ricky, but then standing around with the what? Sinners. That leads us to our last step. Then we find out that we ain't even walking at all. We're not even standing anymore. We're sitting in the seat of the scornful. What do the people that sit in the seat of the scornful do? They mock the people that are walking in the way of God. And that's what you could do as a Christian sometimes and as a believer of Jesus Christ. If you found yourself criticizing more people at church and more people that go to church than you are of holding the limbs back, then you've making these steps to stop walking. Now you're just standing in the way with sinners and you find yourself you'll be sitting in the seat of the scornful and talking about everything else. And you say, Brother Steve, how can, we, how can we fix that? Let me say it to you as beautiful and as nice as I know how. Get off your behind. Get up. 
get up and start walking again. Receive, I don't know if I can do it. You cannot do it. You're exactly right. You must walk in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God tells you to get up to get up. The Holy Spirit of God, listen, the Spirit of God told the man in the hog pen to get out of the hog pen. Go back. Get up. Get up. Listen. The Bible closes, uh, or this psalm closes with this. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. It says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see what that first part of that scripture says? It's, the, it's highlighted there. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Let me say something to you today. The Lord knows where you're going. The Lord knows your path. He knows your walk. And so I ask you this morning, have you walked the right way? If the Lord knows the way, do or can others find their way to the Lord because of our steps? Are we making a big enough impression? Listen, or have we stopped walking, or or excuse me, have we started walking in the way of the ungodly and have we sat down to sit with them in scornfulness and not walking at all anymore? Let me ask you this question. How valuable is your testimony? How valuable is your testimony? If you stop and think about it, Did you know that your testimony itself is a tool against Satan? Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11 says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the what? The word of their testimony. Because they did not love their lives even unto death. The Bible says that our testimonies are powerful. But when we abuse our testimony, and a testimony is this, it means your standing in God, your, your, your life that you're absolutely living, your walk that you're showing everybody. You, let's say, let me say something to you. If you tell your grandkids that, oh, I love Jesus, but yet in the next breath you're using the Lord's name in vain, how much do you love the Lord Jesus? How much do they see that? You're, what you're doing is, is that you're walking crooked. You're walking contrary to what the Word of God says. And if you lose your testimony, listen to me, you're losing your footing. If you lose your testimony, you're not losing your walk. Don't misunderstand me. If you lose your testimony, it's hard to get back. It's hard to get back. There are preachers that have committed some ungodly sins, horrible things, while they were in the pulpit. And their ministries have never come back. Never came back. You know why? Because people no longer trust them and no longer trust their walk. Now, we should forgive them and we should go forward. And they can get up and move forward for God. But the problem is this. It's not necessarily other people. It's just that you've blown your testimony because you didn't think of it in a valuable way. And you ruined it. And so now you've lost your footing. That's why, listen to me, don't hang your head, listen to me. That's why people stop asking you to pray for them. And that's why people stop asking you about church and other things. Because we've slipped and you've lost your footing. That's what the whole word in the Bible means. 18 different times, backslidden, backslide. It means that you've lost your footing. And when you slip and lose your footing, then you can lose a whole lot of things. You mess up a whole lot of things. You mess up your testimony with people in your life that are probably the most valuable. Your kids, your spouses, and 
man, you kids, you're teenagers, it may even be a parent, lost their testimony just because they lost their foot. They didn't lose their salvation. So you need to understand. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. Are we foolish enough to believe that people listen to the gospel out of our mouths and don't evaluate it with the gospel of our walk? Are we foolish enough to believe that we could just say it and not live it in front of people? Because you know what you do? Or let me say something. You know what they do? Come here, Brandon. You know what they do when you say the gospel to them? And, and you say, man, I'd like to invite you to church. And, man, I've been praying for you. And I love you. And Mary and Jonah. And I heard about, you know, Jonah accepting the Lord. And, man, I'd like for you to come to church. and Because you need to get, you know, you need to be saved too. You know? And then... You walk over here, and next thing I know, I'm talking to Wes. I'm talking about a blankety blank, 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 this and that. And I'm drinking and drunk and all the time and all that stuff. And he's listening. He's listening. Because if you don't understand this, they are all watching you. Whether they are little bitty or older, they're listening and they watch you. And then I come back and go, hey, Brandon, you going, are you, what do you think? About, are you going to come to church or not? And he's going to go, no, I don't think so. Why? Because I lost my footing. It ain't because of the power of the gospel. Power of the gospel can save anything, anybody, anywhere. No, I lost my footing. And now hopefully somebody like Brother Craig's got to come and talk to him because my testimony is ruined. You say, Brother Steve, you think your testimony could be ruined at any time? Oh, absolutely. It could be ruined by what you watch, what you listen to, what you say, how you live. Because people are watching the way that you walk because you say you're a Christian. So they expect that when they look at you, they're supposed to see Christ in you. That's why that song that Brandon sang, people need the Lord. You know how they're going to see the Lord? They're going to see him through you. And if they don't see him through us, so I, I, don't, I don't know what else. But if God knows the way, then you should also know that he knows our way. And I hope that you would be walking in the right way. Your, your testimony, your holiness is very important. Can I pray with you? <clears throat> with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a second. You can kind of see that we're going somewhere with this because our worth should lead us to worship the Lord and then our worship should be uh, grounded and rooted through the Word of God. And that if we're saved, we're worshiping and we're in the Word of God, then it should lead us to a holiness in our walk. We should be holy people. We shouldn't look like the world. And the reason that the many people are not flocking and running into the church today and just kind of just head over heels about everything is because the church also, we've lost our footing in the world. We've lost our stand. What used to be holy and pure and true, now people mock because we've given them the reason to. They laugh at us because we talk about being whole, being made whole and being in the image of God and we're walking around like a crippled army, not even standing right. We walk around like a drunken army because Christians today have twisted scripture and think that we can just do what we want when we want to do it, act like we want, and then just expect God to just kind of overlook all of that, th- all that stuff. But I have to remind you of the last scripture. He says that the Lord knows the way. He knows our way. 
So I want to ask you to do something today. Brandon's going to sing. I want to ask you to pray and ask the Lord, if you need to, ask him to forgive you just as I did. Lord, to help me with my walk. Help my walk to line up with my talk and how I say things. You may be a great expositor preacher. You may be a great Sunday school teacher and even a great singer. But if you're not walking it, people don't even hear anything you say anymore. They don't even care to. You guys that are here, and young ladies and teenagers, and you come to church, you talk about being a Christian, and talk about youth groups, and you get on fire for the Lord at a big meeting, and then you go right back to doing those other things and walking away from the Lord. Your friends are watching you. And I'm not saying that to kind of put you down. I'm saying they're watching you because they don't have another example. Their moms and dads may not go to church. Their, their friends, other friends do not know Jesus. And so they're watching you. And if they don't see a difference in you, then tell me, who are they going to see a difference in? How are they going to find Jesus? If God has chosen to bring the gospel through us, through his children, through his sons and daughters, how in the world are they going to see Jesus if we're living out there and doing what we want to do. Lord, I do come to you and pray.